My name is Keith Beavers, and Mercury is in such retrograde right now. I mean, can you can you feel that? What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to episode twenty-two of Fine Pairs Wine One Hundred and One Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I'm the tasting director of Vine Pair and Salutations. I just spelled right. Okay, here we are. <laughs> we are at the Merlot episode. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. It's time to set the record straight on this awesome grape. I promise you're going to love it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by William Hill Estate Winery. To experience William Hill Estate Winery is to discover another side of Napa Valley a place where extraordinary vineyards are tucked away along the serene Silverado Trail, a place where you can still discover an incredible wine for the first time, a Napa Valley that's off the beaten path. At William Hill Estate, we believe the beauty of wine is actually in its simplicity, sincerity, sun, soil, and the power of human hands and minds, and that's the spirit in which we make our wines, as true to nature and her fruits as we can. William Hill Estate Winery, pair with life. So, often throughout these episodes, I have mentioned the variety Cabernet Franc, Cab Franc, and I call it an orphan grape, and I I never really explained what that means. Um, So we know that Cabernet Franc originated in the Basque region of Spain, where it was called Acharia. Thing is, DNA profiling cannot find its parentage. So it's an orphan grape. It, it appeared in the Basque region of Spain, and then it began to travel with humans, eventually making its way to the Bordeaux region. If you were to head north off the coast of the Basque region of Spain, you would be in the Bay of Biscay. And if you go straight north from the, from the Basque region, the town called Bilbao, which is the, sort of the capital of that region, you would hit the northwestern peninsula of France, which is called Brittany. Inland from the coast of Brittany is a town called Saint-Souliac. My French is terrible. And here in the Middle Ages was a monastery or an abbey. Monks were everywhere around this time. And of course, being monks, they had vineyards. And it's thought that the Cabernet Franc grape, Acharia at the time, made its way to Brittany and then from Brittany down into the Loire Valley, then from the Loire Valley down into Bordeaux. And one thing about Bordeaux that I couldn't mention in the Bordeaux episode is that the majority of the activity in sort of ancient or old school Bordeaux before the Medoc was even created, because it was created, took place mostly south of the town of Bordeaux. And a lot of wine was made actually in Entre-du-Mer, that that big swath of like forested vineyard land where where all the white wine made is, is, is made now. But there are a lot of vineyards all around that area. There's also islands in the Garonne River that vines were planted back in the Middle Ages. And early on, these vineyards were not set one variety. They were kind of field blends, different varieties. And it's here in this mix of vineyards, maybe even on one of those islands in the Garonne River, where Merlot was born. And the DNA profiling for a long time showed that Cab Franc was a parent of Merlot. But at the time, no one could figure out what the second parent was. So let's say Cab Franc was the father. 
Who was the mother? Okay, guys, I love this stuff. This is so cool. In 1996, there was a vine sample that came from that little town, Sans-Souliac, from an abandoned vineyard on a slope called Mont Garot. Brittany had abandoned all winemaking 200 years prior. Actually, to this day, there's like one vineyard in that area making wine. It's just so cool. I, one day, I definitely want to visit. Nobody knew what this vine was. It didn't even have a name. And then, a few years later, in the Charente department, which is just northeast of Bordeaux, this same vine was found on the front of four houses and four villages in that department. Is, is that cool or what? And they actually named this grape the grape of Madalena because at the time, the grape ripened around the holiday of St. Madeline on July 22nd. It's nuts. And initial DNA profiling showed that it was also an orphan grape. So they named it Magdalene Noir de Charente, the black grape of Magdalene from the department of Charente. And then in 2008, further DNA testing showed that it is in fact the mother of Merlot. So two orphan grapes. No one knows where Magdalene came from. But two orphan grapes that probably came through Brittany through, made their way down to the mixed vineyards of Bordeaux back in the day and somehow Cab Franc and Magdalene cross-pollinated and created Merlot. Boom! Mind blown. And in the early 19th century, the, you know, the big dog has is, is, is been around for a minute, and there is documentation coming out showing the origin of the name Merlot, which is really cool as well. It says that the name was given to the variety because the, there's a blackbird in this area that likes this grape very much. And in the old tongue called Occitan, which is this very old language that's been around this part of France and Spain for a long time, the word, the name of the bird was Merlot, M-E-R-L-A-U. We start to see documentation about the Medoc celebrating the Merlot grape as a blending partner to Cabernet Sauvignon, as well as Cab Franc, but Merlot has this softness to it that rounds everything out. And of course, on the right bank, Merlot is being focused on because it is an early ripening variety, and over on the right bank, it thrives because of the weather going on, the climate over on that side. And this is the home of Merlot. This is where it came from. And like we talked about in the Bordeaux episode, it reaches its peak of awesomeness on the right bank, specifically north of Saint-Emilion in the Pomerol um, appellation, specifically with Petrus being 100% Merlot and another, another one called Le Pain. And this is something to know about this grape. It is not really known for its varietal character so much as it is known mostly for its blending ability, if you will. Merlot is a lot about texture more than it is about varietal characteristics and aroma. But the cool thing about Merlot, and um, somebody who was part of the DNA profiling um, had this to say about it, which is pretty awesome. From its mother, Magdalene, 
it gets its early ripening because that, that grape was an early ripening variety. From its father, Cab Franc, it gets its high quality tannin and pigment. Also, when it's grown in cooler climates, you can get some of this herbaceousness with Merlot, and that is absolutely a characteristic that comes from Cab Franc. It's kind of wild. Cab Franc gives Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon its peppery stuff. Also, and I mentioned this in the Bordeaux episode, but we might as well mention it again because it's the Merlot episode, is the majority of those affordable Bordeaux coming from the right bank, from the Cote de Bordeaux and the Bordeaux AOC and Bordeaux AOC Superior, those are all primarily Merlot blends. And this is aided by the fact that it is an early ripening variety, but also it's very friendly to a high yield. And speaking of high yields, California, my God, we'll get, we're, we'll get there. So in its home, it's known mostly as a blending variety. I mean, with few exceptions. So what happens when this grape leaves its home? We don't see a lot of Merlot being celebrated outside of Bordeaux. I mean, there is Merlot being made in France and specifically in the in, in, in the southwestern part of France, north of Bordeaux, and also in southern France. But Bordeaux is really where it shines. But because of its early ripening, and because it's of its friendly high yielding, it is the blending grape for the world, it seems, for red wine. To the point is, like as of 2010, it was the second most planted grape on the planet. I love Merlot. I think it's... It is such an awesome grape that makes awesome wine. It's a workhorse around the world for blending, but there are places in the world outside of France that do 100% Merlot that is just stunning as well. If it's done right and in the right soils and the right climates, it is just beautiful. Even though the thing is, like, it's not really about aroma. I mean, you can get some blueberries sometimes, and there's that peppery note that comes in, but it's the texture of Merlot that is so wonderful. And one of those places in the world outside of France that makes Merlot this way, are you ready for it? You guys know what I'm going to say? Italy. <laughs> and not just Italy, Friuli. I mean, one day I should just do a Friuli episode, am I right? <laughs> the, the Merlot coming out of Friuli can be so wonderful. It's often 100% variety. Sometimes it's blended with Cab Franc, but it is just... It is just the, the, the climate there and the soils and the slight elevation of their vineyards just make Merlo, the, the most beautiful Merlot. There actually is Merlot made on the, on the Lower Plains area, which is a little more basic, but still beautiful and plump and juicy. But Merlot and Friuli is a thing, and it's, it's not often available, but you should definitely try to seek it out because that'll give you a sense of what 100% Merlot can taste like in one of its purest Forms. Actually, Merlot makes up 15% of the wine produced in Friuli. And sometimes they call it Merlot with two T's at the end because it's part of their dialect. But what's really interesting is there's an actual agroturismo touring route called Strada de Merlot. <laughs> and it is it goes along the one of the main rivers in Friuli, the Isonzo River. And if you travel the Asunsa River, you hit all these little towns and you drink Merlot the whole time. It's, it's real. It's awesome. Outside of Friuli in northern Italy, Merlot has grown all over the place in the Veneto and the Trentino Alto Adige. But significantly, Merlot plays a big role in the central part 
of, of Italy in Tuscany, in, in Umbria. In Tuscany, in Chianti Classico, Merlot is allowed in their blends. And I got to say, there's something really nice about a Merlot and a Sangiovese being blended together. Sangiovese has this crazy sort of like ripe cranberry cherry thing going on, and Merlot just comes in and softens and rounds it off. It's just beautiful. Also in Bulgari, which we've talked about before, Merlot is allowed in those blends, and it softens the Cabernet that's grown in that area. Just south of Tuscany in Umbria, there is a grape that's native to that region called Sagrantino. It's one of the most tannic varieties on the planet. It's huge. It ages forever. And sometimes they blend that with Merlot, and it's just an amazing thing. What It, does. it just softens and keeps the depth, and it's really an awesome blend. And they call that Monte Falco Rosso, which is, a, which is an appellation in Umbria. Just across the border in Friuli in Slovenia, Merlot is awesome as well because, this, you know, political lines don't define terroir, right? So the, the, it's similar terroir to Friuli. It's awesome stuff. Also down into Croatia, Merlot is done as well. I just say that because these wines are coming onto the market and there's something to look out for. But what we really have to talk about is why a lot of people are like, should we hate Merlot? Thanks, California. Okay, so it's not California's fault as a whole. You know, in the wine, in wine, it's usually the human's fault, not the wine's fault, because the humans are the ones that do the thing to make everything crazy. And this is this thing went crazy. Merlot in California wasn't really a thing before Prohibition, and it wasn't until like the late '60s, like '69 into '70, that Merlot began to be experimented with as a blending variety. <laughs> Go figure to Cabernet Sauvignon, which was quickly becoming a very popular vine in the area. And it wasn't until after the 1976 Judgment of Paris, and in 1980, when um, the first AVA was awarded to California, Napa Valley, that Merlot started really kind of making a name for itself because Cabernet Sauvignon was so popular that Merlot, and Merlot was such a great blending variety, blend, Merlot was just everywhere. So people started making Merlot like on its own as a variety itself. And people started thinking, hey, this is a really nice, this is soft. This is like, there was a quote, I think, um, called Cabernet Without the Pain <laughs> is what they called it. So in the 80s, it built and built. And by 1990s, Merlot became one of the most popular wines out there. It was one of the most popular glass pours in America in the 1990s. In 1991 or 92, there are about 8,000 acres of Merlot under vine in California. By 1995, there were 26,000 acres of Merlot under vine in California. And it got more and more popular and it got crazy. By 1999, this dude named Rex Pickett was writing a book about two loathsome dudes rolling around in wine country in Santa Barbara. For research, he would go to wine tastings. He would, you know, it was like $4 for a wine tasting back then. So he just went to all these wine tastings. And what he, what he realized was no one liked Merlot. I mean, the people that were working the tasting rooms weren't really a fan of it. And there was this perception at the time. It had gotten such a, Merlot had saturated the market so much. And so much over mass produced Merlot was being made it went from being one of the most popular varieties to a variety that was, it was so overdone that people were kind of done with it. And the book Sideways, uh, Rex Pickett had a few versions of it. And in one of the versions of the, of the novel, that famous line from the movie is in it, but he deleted it from the, the, the final novel. And when the, wine, when the movie was being made, he gave the director of the movie every version of the novel 
that he had. And the director found that line and kept it in the script because it was a good punchline for the movie. But by 2003, there were over 52,000 acres of Merlot under vine in California. So in 2004, when the Sideways movie comes out and that line hits, Merlot had been suffering for a while. It had, been, it had not been a popular wine at all because of its oversaturation in the market. And of course, because of that amazing Pinot Noir monologue in the movie, Pinot Noir becomes number one <laughs> grape in the world. It kind of takes Merlot's place, if you will, as the soft alternative to Cabernet Sauvignon. And within a year after the release of the film, Merlot's sales in California dropped by $77 million. That's a big hit. It didn't destroy the Merlot industry, but it definitely messed it up. And there are winemakers that make great Merlot in California. Like, what? what's going on? So Merlot is not bad. It doesn't make bad wine. It's sort of what we've done with it that turned it into what it was. And Pinot Noir kind of went down that path for a while as well. The, the, the popularity of Pinot Noir and the oversaturation of it, this is a great, you know, Pinot Noir is not like, you can't just like mass produce Pinot Noir. So it had to be blended with other varieties like Merlot and Syrah and be called Pinot Noir because of the 75% rule that's available in the new world. So, you know, it's just, it's always, it's, it was a trend. Merlot is awesome. I mean, to this day, 10 to 15% of all the Merlot made in California goes into a California blend. It's a, it is a blending variety. It just, it, it is, but it, in, when it's in the right place, it can be beautifully done. And there are places like specifically in California, in Napa, that ha that are very good for Merlots, that are often 100% Merlots. You have the cool climate of the Carneros region, which actually has some, some fun Merlots. Coombsville, Oak Knoll, and of course the famous Stagsley district, which is near Carneros. That, those, those areas have great soil and climate for good Merlot that you could do that people make and they don't have to blend it with other varieties. And outside of California, Merlot is made, I mean, it's grown everywhere. I mean, it's just all over the United States. And if there's a wine growing region in the United States, Merlot is being grown. It was once a big deal in Washington state and it still makes great, they make great Merlot over there. But like California, it was more popular in the eighties and the nineties. I mean, it's, it's still there, but you know, just not as popular as like Riesling. But the other big deal, I got to go back to my home state, New York, because New York is doing Merlot in a really wonderful way. Last episode, we talked about the Riesling happening in the Finger Lakes. Well, the Finger Lakes also does really great Cab Franc and Merlot, but Merlot really shines on the Long, on Long Island, specifically on what's called the North Fork of Long Island. It's a bunch of old potato farms that are now vineyards, and it has a great climate. There's actually a sign when you're going to Long Island saying, last stop before Bordeaux because it's like, you know, it's across the ocean and stuff. But it's a great place for Merlot and I'm sure you'll see some of that on the American market. So that's Merlot, guys. Are you guys into it now? Is it something like, you're like, you know what, man? Keith, you're right. I'm going to go check out some Merlot. Check it out, guys. It's a great blending variety. It's going to be in a lot of wines, that, whether you know it or not, mostly, especially in American wines. But it can really shine on its own as well. And it's great in blends from Bordeaux. So give it a chance. If you're digging what I'm doing, picking up what I'm putting down, go ahead and give me a rating on iTunes or tell your friends to subscribe. You can subscribe. If you like to type, go ahead and send a, you know, a review or something like that. But let's get this wine podcast up so everybody can learn about wine.
check me out on Instagram. It's at VinePairKeith. I do all my stuff and stories. And also, you've got to follow VinePair on Instagram, which is at VinePair. And don't forget to listen to the VinePair podcast, which is hosted by Erica, Adam, and Zach. It's a great deep dive into drinks culture every week. Now for some credits. How about that? Wine 101 is recorded and produced by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the VinePair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mellon. I also want to thank Daniel Grinberg for making the most legit Wine 101 logo. And I got to thank Darby Seaside for making this amazing song. I mean, listen to this epic stuff. And finally, I want to thank the VinePair staff for helping me learn more every day. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by William Hill Estate Winery. To experience William Hill Estate Winery is to discover another side of Napa Valley, a place where extraordinary vineyards are tucked away along the serene Silverado Trail, a place where you can still discover an incredible wine for the first time, a Napa Valley that's off the beaten path. At William Hill Estate, we believe the beauty of wine is actually in its simplicity, sincerity, sun, soil, and the power of human hands and minds, and that's the spirit in which we make our wines as true to nature and her fruits as we can. William Hill Estate Winery. Pair with life.